You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series, Sirah, Life of the Prophet, by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash kalaminstitute. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Inshallah, continuing with our series on the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, the prophetic biography. In the previous sessions, we've been talking about the Prophet arrival in Al Madinatul Munawwara, the illuminated city of Medina. We also talked about the initial challenges, some of the initial tasks that the Prophet undertook uh, to really establish and settle the community there in Medina. From the construction of the masjid to uh, having his family join, uh, arrive in Medina and join him there in Medina. So some of, and then of course the Prophet serving the community in Medina, establishing the bonds of brotherhood. The Prophet also reached out to many of the Jewish tribes in the area and at least established some level of communication and familiarity with them. One of the interesting things that occurred, and this is, is kind of an interesting situation, Shortly after the Prophet ﷺ's arrival in Al Madinatul Munawwara, these are narrations that are mentioned by Imam Bukhari rahmahullahu ta'ala in his Al Jami' al Sahih. It's mentioned also by uh, many of the historians and the scholars of the Seerah, such as Ibn Ishaq. Uh, Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal mentioned some of these narrations. And of course, Imam Bayhaqi and Ibn Kathir rahmahullahu ta'ala also mentioned these narrations. And that is that when the Prophet ﷺ arrived in Medina to Munawwara and the Muslims basically had started to arrive a little while before him and then continued to arrive through the arrival of the Prophet ﷺ and shortly following the arrival of Rasulullah ﷺ, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha relates this in the following manner. She says that when we first arrived, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, along with Amir bin Fuhayra and Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. Amir bin Fuhayra and Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu were, used to be slaves. They were free men now, but they used to be slaves and they were freed by Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu had bought them and released them, purchased their freedom because they were believers. So to free them from persecution and torture and slavery, he had freed them. So they were very close. And in fact, I've talked about it before where people used to refer to Abu Bakr and Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhumah as brothers. That they were so close that they were like brothers. So Amir bin Fuhayra also being Mawla Abi Bakr, also being freed by Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was like a brother to Abu Bakr. So these three were extremely close. And they were staying together when they first arrived there in Al-Madinatul Munawwara. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha relates and recalls the incident that when I arrived there in Medina with my mother, with the family, I went to go see, uh, you know, we obviously inquired about our father, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, and we were told that he was very, very ill. He was very sick. And him, Amir bin Fuhira and Bilal radiallahu anhu, all three of them had fallen extremely ill, had fallen very, very sick. 
And so they were all staying together. They were kind of keeping them together, I guess, to kind of keep it contained. And she talks about going to visit them. And she says, when I walked in, and she describes, she says that I can't even describe to you how, you know, um, sick they were. That they were like incapacitated. You know, when you're running an extremely high fever, and your head hurts, and your body aches, and you feel like you can't even move, you're bedridden. That's what she describes, al-wa'ak, right? That wa'ika Abu Bakr. That Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala, my father, Abu Bakr, Bilal, and Amr bin Fuhira, they were bedridden. They were so sick, they were so ill that they were bedridden. They couldn't even get up from bed. So she says, I walked in to look at them, to check on them. And she says, I asked my father, Ya Aba, kayfa tajiduka? That old beloved father, how are you? What is your condition? And she says that, you know, when I asked him this, he responded by saying, He responded with a couplet, with a poem. He said, Each and every single person wakes up in the morning amongst his or her family. But death is closer to every person than their own shoelaces. The laces of their shoes. I mean, death is that close. Every morning you wake up, and you think it's a new day and you have your whole life ahead of you and you wake up next to your wife and look at the faces of your children and you feel like you have the world at your fingertips and the whole life is ahead of you. But in reality, death is closer to you than your own feet. That's how close death is. So he said this and she says that when I heard him say this, I thought to myself like, he has no idea what he's talking about. Like he's like just delusional um, from the fever. She says, was, was altu Amiran, kayfa tajiduka? I asked Amir bin Fuhira, how are you? And he responds by saying, inni wajattu al-mawta qabla dhawqihi, inna al-jabana hatfuhu min fawqihi. He says that I found death, that I have, I'm, I basically tasted death before the time of death. I feel like I've tasted death before the time of death. That's how sick and ill I am. Um, so then she says the same thing. I thought to myself that, wow, you know, they're, they're completely just delusional. And then she says, وَسَأَلْتُ بِلَالًا I asked Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, كَيْفَ تَجِدُكَ How are you feeling? And she says that Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu responded with couplets and poetry as well. He said, أَلَا لَيْتَ شِعْرِي هَلْ أَبِيْتَنَّ لَيْلَةً بِفَخٍ وَحَوْلِي إِذْخِرٌ وَجَلِيلٌ وَهَلْ أَرِدًا يَوْمًا مِيَاهَ مَجَنَّةٍ وَهَلْ يَبْدُوًا لِي شَامَةٌ وَطَفِيلٌ He basically says that I wish that I was spending the night on the mountains of Mecca with the grass and the flowers, and he describes the type of vegetation or grass or greenery that grows outside of Mecca. He's describing that, that I wish I was lying down in the hills outside of Mecca with the grass and all those different types of flowers around me. And he says that I long to see the river and the waters around the area of Mecca, and I wish that I was there in the mountains of Mecca. 
So he basically is missing home. He says, I wish I was back in Mecca. And I mean, think about what it, of course, he's got a fever, so he probably isn't completely lucid. But also think about the fact that how severely ill he must have been. Bilal radiallahu went through torture in Mecca. That he actually feels so near death that he says that I, I would trade Mecca right now for this. Right? And so they were, when we say they were ill, we're not talking about the thing where you're like running a little bit of a fever or you have a little bit of an upset stomach or something like that. We're talking about deathly ill, like critical condition, very, very ill. Now, where was this from? What, what, what was this about? So the, I read through a lot of the narrations and some of the historical accounts and I found something very fascinating, I found something interesting that this wasn't simply uh, specific to the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum or this particular incident at the time of the migration but Medina Yathrib, historically speaking historically speaking Medina Yathrib before Islam was actually notorious for having dirty water and people becoming very, very ill and sick. There's actually a lot of historical accounts that mentions Hisham. He actually writes, وَكَانَ وَبَاؤُهَا مَعْرُوفًا فِي الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ That the illness of Yathrib was very famous before Islam. وَكَانَ إِذَا كَانَ الْوَادِي وَبِيئًا That it was known as the valley of sickness. فَأَشْرَفَ عَلَيْهِ الْإِنسَانِ And it basically talks about how there were rivers, there were streams uh, that were flowing there in Yathrib before Islam. And they were very, very, like the water was very muddy. It had a very strong stench to it. Some of the streams that were going through Yathrib, through Medina, some of the streams, they were very muddy water and had a very strong stench to it. Like the water had something in it that made it kind of bad. And people used to oftentimes become very sick, very ill uh, due to that water. And overall, like Medina for outsiders, the residents who lived there had built up a level of immunity to where they themselves would not get very sick and ill. But it's not by coincidence, again, that... One of the forefathers of the Prophet ﷺ, one of his great-great-grandfathers, it actually talks about him dying, becoming very ill and dying there in Medina. I believe it was Hisham. He got ill and he died there in Yathrib in Medina. The father of the Prophet ﷺ also fell ill there and also died there as well. So this is not, all not a coincidence. So you kind of see the connection. So the local residents had built up quite a bit of immunity. But when outsiders would come to Medina, they would become very, very ill, deathly ill. And that's what happened with the Muhajirun. They started arriving from Mecca and they all started falling sick and becoming very, very ill. In fact, it basically talks about that there was a point, there was a time when the majority of the Muhajirun were bedridden. They were very, very sick and very ill. And so I was telling you that historically, even before Islam, before Hijrah, before Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, before being Medina, it was always known as a place where people would become sick and become ill. And you know, before Islam, in times of jahiliyyah, people used to do shirk. People didn't have iman, they didn't have proper tawheed, they didn't have proper belief. So they were deeply superstitious. They were very, very superstitious. Right? Superstition is a type of shirk. And it's actually a sign of the weakness of like Iman and Tawheed within a people. 
All right, there's no room for superstition in Islam. The Prophet ﷺ multiple times condemned different types of superstition, whether it was associated with a place, or whether it was associated with uh, a time, or whatever the situation was, an animal, a season, uh, whatever it was. The Prophet ﷺ constantly negated superstitions. But people before Islam were deeply superstitious. So it actually talks about the fact that فَأَشْرَفَ عَلَيْهِ الْإِنسَانِ قِيلَ لَهُ أَن that they had this very, very weird superstition. Um, and there's some poetry that this one poet, while he was crossing through that same place in Medina, he says, And what he's basically saying is that the practice in the time of Jahiliyyah was that when somebody would pass by Medina, like the travelers, the expert travelers, those who were a little bit experienced, who had been through here before, and they kind of knew all the stories and all the rumors and all the superstitions, they had a practice. When they would pass by Medina, they used to, the narration describes, they would put their hands like they, behind their head, or they would grab their ears and pull their ears, and then they would make the sound of the braying of a donkey. Like they would make the sound of the braying of a donkey ten times. And they would do this ten times. They would put their hands up on their head, they would you know, pull their ears, they would put, put their hands on their face, they used to scream, and they would make the sounds of the braying of a donkey, and somehow they believed that this would protect them from the waba of, of Yathrib. This would protect them from the illness, the sickness that was common there in the city of Yathrib. And so when the Prophet ﷺ arrives, of course there's no room for superstition of this nature because it's contradictory to our iman, our aqidah, our tawheed, our belief. So there's no room for this, but still the sahaba were becoming very, very ill and very sick. So what do you do? So it said at this particular time that Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, when she goes and she specifically speaks to her father Abu Bakr and the two friends, brothers of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Amir bin Fuhayra and Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, then she goes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and she says that I informed the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam فَأَخْبَرْتُهُ فَنَظَرَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam إِلَى السَّمَاءِ so she says, I told the Prophet ﷺ, this is what's going on with them, and this is how sick and how ill they are. Like it's really, really bad. I fear for their lives. And so she says, the Prophet ﷺ looked up at the sky. وَقَالَ اللَّهُمَّ حَبِّبْ إِلَيْنَا الْمَدِينَةَ كَمَا حَبَّبْتَ إِلَيْنَا مَكَّةَ أَوْ أَشَدَّ He said, Oh Allah, make the city of Medina beloved to us, just like you made the city of Mecca beloved to us, and in fact even more than that. Allahumma barik lana fi sa'iha wa fi muddiha. Sa' and mud are measurements. Not so much measurements of weight, but measurements of volume. And they were used to measure grain and food in, you know, uh, in Hijaz in Arabia at that time, in Mecca and Medina. And so the Prophet ﷺ uses the word sa' which is equal to two handfuls, mud, which is one handful. So one handful is mud, two handfuls is sa'a. So the Prophet ﷺ is using these words of one handful and two handful to basically refer to food. 
Allahumma barik lana fi sa'iha wa muddiha. Oh Allah put blessing and barakah for us in the food of Medina. So oh Allah make Medina beloved to us even more than Makkah is beloved to us. Alright? And this is actually one of the narrations that Imam Malik even uses to talk about the virtue of the city of Medina. And then he says, Oh Allah put blessing for us in the food of Medina. Um, and he basically says, And move the disease of Medina away from here. Far, far away from here. And he names the place that was the farthest known region of that, of the, was the farthest area of that known region, excuse me, of Hijaz. He says that remove the waba as far as possible away from here. So after the Prophet ﷺ made this dua, the narrations mention that all of a sudden the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, they started to recover. And they started to feel better. And they were slowly and slowly starting to get better and better. And they slowly started to recover. And from that day on, nobody, that that disease that was there in Medina, whatever it was, whether it was the air, or it was something in the soil, or it was something in the water. But from that day on, visitors to the city of Medina would never become ill. Would never become ill. And in fact, an interesting thing about that in our times as well is that people who have been for Hajj, people who have been for Umrah, and then they go to visit the Masjid of Rasulullah wasallam in the city of Medina, they always note the fact that Medina is always very pleasant. And Medina is always very refreshing. Medina is always very, very nice and very comfortable. And this definitely is the dua of the Prophet wasallam. That oh Allah make Medina beloved to the people. And Allah put barakah in the food and in the weather and in the health and in the air and in the water of the city of Medina. That, and remove disease away from the city of Medina, that that holds true till today. That is a dua of the Prophet ﷺ that was accepted in the favor of the beloved city of the Prophet ﷺ, Al-Madinatul Munawwara. Um, there's a couple of narrations that are actually related to this particular incident that I wanted to go ahead and mention here as well. About seven years after the Hijrah, seven years after the Prophet ﷺ, you know, uh, migrated from Makkah to Medina and made this dua at the place of Medina, and that waba, that disease, that illness was removed from the people of Medina. About seven years later, the Sahaba went back to Makkah officially for the very first time. And that was called Umratul Qada. Umratul Qada, because they went in the sixth year to go do Umrah, but what ended up happening? Al Hudaybiyah, Sulhul Hudaybiyah. The Treaty of Hudaybiyah occurred, and part of that treaty was this year you don't come to Mecca, you go back to Medina. Next year you come back for three days and you get to do your Umrah that you want to do so desperately. So they came back the following year to do Umratul Qada, the makeup Umrah. When they came back to do the makeup Umrah, what was interesting was by now the waba of Medina was obviously gone. But because those old stories, obviously, right, if there was a rumor, or there was a story, or there were just this general, if there was just this general knowledge within the culture of the people, that Yathrib, Medina, is a place of waba, is a place of disease, 
then, you know, even though it's been six, seven years since that, it still kind of lives on. The rumor, it takes a while for it to work its way out of other people's minds. And on top of that, the Makkans, the Quraysh, were very spiteful. Because you have to keep in mind, I'm fast forwarding here. We're going to go through the seerah properly, inshallah. But I'm fast forwarding. The battle of Badr has happened. The battle of Uhud has happened. The battle of Khandaq has happened. Right? The sulah of Hudaybiyah has occurred. So the Makkans and the Quraysh are very spiteful. There's a lot of history now. There's a lot of beef. So they wanted to mock the Muslims in any way that they could. So when the Muslims arrived there in Mecca for the Umrah, and many of the Muslims who, were, who had migrated from Mecca to Medina, so they were originally Meccans themselves. You know, obviously the first six, seven years in Medina were years of hardship. They had been through so many battles, dozens of skirmishes. They had been through all this hardship and everything. So maybe they looked a little frail. They looked a little weak. They had also traveled all the way from Mecca to Medina. So you got to keep that in mind as well. That's not an easy journey to make on foot. It took them, you know, days and days to get from Medina to Mecca. So so they're probably worn out a little bit from the journey, maybe a little malnourished or dehydrated from the journey through the desert at the same time. Whatever the case was, and then on top of that, they were just looking for some excuse to taunt the Muslims. So when the Muslims arrive, now keep in mind on top of all of that, not only have they gone through a journey, so they might look a little weak or a little dehydrated or a little, you know, kind of dried up. Um, on top of that, they're doing Umrah. For some of these folks, for some of these believers, many, most of these believers, this is the first time they're formally doing this act of worship since accepting Islam. So this is a very great moment for them. And they are in awe, especially the Ansar and many of the Makkans. They had never looked at the Kaaba in this light before. They have accepted Islam. And this is the first time now they're looking at the Kaaba and seeing it for what it really is. And that is Baytullah al-Haram, Kaabatullah al-Sharifa. Right? So they're in awe of this magnificent, majestic place. So what happens? It humbles you, right? So they're humble. They have their heads bowed down low. They have their shoulders hunched over. They're making dua, making istighfar, doing tawaf, praying dua. Right? They're, they're engaged in all this and they're very humble. And so some of the Makkans started to taunt them. And the way that they taunted them was that they were specifically saying... إِنَّهُ يَقْدَمُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَفْدٌ قَدْ وَهَنَهُمْ حُمَّا يَثْرِبْ That a group is coming here, a group has come here, that the waba of Yathrib, the disease of Medina, has destroyed them. Look at them. They're weak, hunched over, dried up, shriveled up. You know, they look, they look so broken. The disease of Medina has broken these people. Look at them, right? And they were trying to taunt them and any people who might have, you know, become in, who might become interested in Islam, who might be affected by the da'wah of the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba, they were trying to basically, you know, work, counteract that effect of the Muslims being in Mecca by saying, look at them, the disease of Medina broke them. And that's actually why, فَأَمَرَهُمْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ أَنْ يَرْمُلُوا The Prophet ﷺ commanded them to do ramal. And for those who have been for Hajj and Umrah, you know that any tawaf that is followed by sa'i has what in it? It has ramal in it, right? 
So you do the Ramal, that where you basically don't just walk around the Kaaba, but in the first three circuits, in the first three circles of your Tawaf, which is seven circles, in the first three of them, what do you do? You march. Kind of, you know, stick your chest out, put your shoulders back a little, and you march like a soldier marches. And the Prophet ﷺ commanded them to do this. The Prophet ﷺ commanded them to do this ramal as a, as a uh, uh, show and as a sign, as, as a display of strength. And also that's where the Prophet ﷺ also commanded them to jog, to kind of like march again between the milayn akhdarayn, the sa'i. That of course also connects back to Hajar, but also the Prophet ﷺ re-emphasized this at that particular place. وَلَمْ يَمْنَعَهُ أَنْ يَرْمُلُوا الْأَشْوَاتَ كُلَّهَا إِلَّا الْإِبْقَاءُ عَلَيْهِمْ But the Prophet ﷺ did not tell them to do Ramal throughout all the seven circles, all seven circuits, because he didn't want to make it too difficult, but he wanted them to be able to engage in their dua and tawbah and istighfar and you know, humbly connect with Allah and present themselves before Allah. So it was kind of a balance. So the first three, do the Ramal. And even though we don't have that same scenario where we have Mushrikun looking at us when we go for Hajj or Umrah, but we still do that Ramal to follow the command of the Prophet wasallam. We do it to follow the command of the Prophet and also to emulate the action of the Sahaba and to preserve that noble act of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum. So this is connected to that. So even though I'm fast forwarding now, seven years down the road, but it's connected to that talk of the waba. Another thing that also, another narration that seems a little disconnected, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's connected. It was said by the Prophet ﷺ at this particular incident. Um, Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri rahimahullah ta'ala mentions this narration from Abdullah bin Amr bin al-As radiallahu ta'ala anhuma anna Rasulullah ﷺ lama qadim al-Madina huwa wa ashabuhu asabatuhum humma al-Madina. When the Prophet ﷺ arrived in the city of Medina, him and his companions, his companions were afflicted by the fever and the, the, the sickness, the flu of Medina, if you will. حَتَّى جَهَدُوا مَرَضًا Until they became very, very deathly ill. وَصَرَفَ اللَّهُ ذَلِكَ عَنْ نَبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم. Allah protected the Prophet ﷺ from becoming sick. حَتَّى كَانُوا مَا يُصَلُّونَ إِلَّا وَهُمْ قُعُودٌ and it got to a point where the only way that they could still pray five times a day was that they had to pray sitting down. And basically the context of the narration is that after the Prophet ﷺ made a dua for the disease of the city of Medina to leave Medina, then they started to recover and get better and some of the Sahaba were still sitting and praying and the Prophet ﷺ knew now that they're starting to recover and they feel a little bit better, a little bit stronger. And he came out and he saw them, وَهُمْ يُصَلُّونَ كَذَلِكَ he saw them sitting and praying down. He said, Realize, understand, know this. Know that the salah of the person, somebody praying salah sitting down, is half the reward of salah that is prayed standing up. To pray sitting down, is half the reward of to pray standing up. Now of course this doesn't mean that somebody honestly, physically cannot stand up and pray. Of course they're ma'adhur and they're excused. La ba'asa When the Prophet ﷺ was injured, 
He had broken his leg when the Prophet ﷺ towards the end of his life became very, very ill. Fi maradi wafatihi, the illness that carried the Prophet ﷺ to his passing, right? When he became that ill, he prayed sitting down. Fayajuz, it is permissible. In fact, it is recommended for that person. But what the Prophet ﷺ is talking about here is al-ujuru bi qadr al-juhud. Your reward is in accordance with the level of sacrifice. So sometimes, talking about myself here, all right, sometimes I might be, you know, I might twist my ankle, right, playing basketball. Now, my ankle hurts. I could pray standing up, but it's a little uncomfortable. But then I could pray sitting, and I figure I might as well just pray sitting down, right? The question is, and this is more of a spiritual, so the fiqh of it is the fiqh of it. If you don't feel up to it, you can pray sitting down and that's permissible. The Prophet ﷺ is giving the spiritual recommendation here to the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala I have to think to myself, I twisted my ankle, it's a little tender, it hurts just a little bit. Do I still go to work? I do. Right, do I still stand in line at Starbucks to get my coffee? I still do, right? In fact, when the guys call me up to play basketball Tuesday night, I say, you know what? I got an ankle brace here somewhere. I mean, let me figure this out. I'll ice it up. I'll strap it up. I'll show up. I'll keep it light. Half court. No full court. Inshallah. All right? And then afterwards, I'll ice it up again. Inshallah. 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 Khair. And all of a sudden, it's time for salah. And it's like, oh, brother, can I have a chair, please? Oh. Right? Then, then all of a sudden I'm too sick to stand up. It's just something to think about. It's food for thought. Me. I'm talking about me. Not talking about anybody who has a serious you know, back issue or a serious you know, health concern. No, no, no. I'm talking about me. Right? I have to think to myself. How easily am I willing to take the rukhsa in this situation? But everything else. Life. You know, business as usual. Business as usual. It's all good. So the Prophet ﷺ saw the Sahaba, they're starting to recover, they're feeling a little bit better, you know, they're starting to go about their daily activities, and then they're still kind of sitting and praying down. The Prophet ﷺ said, look, and that's why the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't change the fiqh. He didn't say, hey, your salah is batil, fasid, la yajuz, haram, right? But the Prophet ﷺ didn't say, la tuqbal. Right, this type of prayer will not be accepted. But the wisdom of the Prophet is he said, okay, you can pray like this, but wa'alamu. You just know this much. That you get half the reward if you pray sitting down. So he motivated them. Exert yourself. And you really have to and you understand, see, this also seems very arbitrary until you understand the role of salah. The, who, who are the Sahaba and what are they going through right now? They've left their homes, snuck out in the middle of the night, kicked out of their homes. They show up in Medina, total absolute strangers. Of course, the Ansar are the Ansar, their name speaks for themselves. Most hospitable, the most kind, the most generous people that this world, this Ummah has ever seen. This Ummah has never seen a more beautiful community, a more welcoming, embracing community than the community of the Ansar. Having said that, think about the plight of the muhajirun. Your home is gone, your family is left behind, you don't own a single penny to your name, you don't have anything. You're going through so much hardship. Your relationship with Allah and your salah is your lifeline. 
is the only thing that will uh, help you get through this, this adversity, this difficulty, this difficult moment that you're in. The emotional stress, the physical hardship, the psychological stress, everything that you're going through, where do you get the release? Where do you get the nourishment? Where, where will you sustain your soul? How will you sustain your soul? Through your salah. So don't compromise your salah, compromise something else. Don't compromise your salah. Taste your salah. Feel your salah. You should know that you pray. And that's why the Prophet is emphasizing. He's emphasizing. No, no, no. It might be a little hard for some of y'all. Some of y'all are still too sick. Where you can't stand up and pray, I understand. But those of y'all that are recovering, starting to go back to work and things like that, taste it. Feel it. It's what keeps you alive spiritually. That is far more important than your body. Right? This is this your soul. It's a lot more important. And so this was the recommendation of Rasulullah. And then the narration basically says from Abdullah bin Amr bin al-As radiallahu ta'ala anhuma fatajashamal muslimuna al-qiyam. And the Muslims all stood up and started to pray standing up. In spite of still being weak and being sick, they were still recovering. Um al-Fadli. Because they wanted this blessing and this virtue and this reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they were willing to go through a little bit of hardship for a much, much greater gain and blessing from, uh, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I also wanted to mention one narration, very interesting. Um, Imam al-Bayhaqi uh, mentions this, that when the uh, waba. Uh, or excuse me, Imam Bukhari mentions this That when the waba, the disease that was there, the flu in Medina Once it left after the Prophet ﷺ made the dua He came out the next day and he said That I saw in my dream last night That there was this very old, like disheveled Kind of really scary, wretched looking person and I saw that this person walked out of Medina and just walked away and he pointed in the direction of northwest out of Medina that he said that this person this old, wretched, really evil, scary looking person walked out of Medina. I saw this in my dream. And that was wahi, that was divine revelation. That was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala letting the Prophet ﷺ know that your dua has been accepted of course and that this disease from Medina has been removed and it was personified as this really wretched, evil looking human being that then walked out of Medina. And when the Prophet ﷺ went and saw, he found that the Sahaba were starting to recover and they were starting to get better. And that was basically the beginning of the you know blessing of the city of Medina that we know Medina with till today. That it is that beautiful, that peaceful, that, that amazing experience that every single person has that started at that time when the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba anhu first arrived in the city of Medina. We'll go ahead and pause here and stop here for this week inshallah and continue on forward. What we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks is a couple of things. Number one, we're going to go through the constitution of Medina. The Prophet ﷺ, when he came there, he basically sat down and dictated. He had the Sahaba anhu write up a whole constitution, kind of like a code of conduct for the community 
for the city of Medina, for the community of Muslims. Since this was the establishment of the Muslim community, so we'll talk about that, we'll go through that. We'll also talk about some of the things that kind of go hand in hand with that. Um, and then eventually we'll move on to talking about some of the first initial scouting and expeditions that started to happen in and around the area, the vicinity of Medina, which eventually would culminate into the Battle of Badr. So we'll talk about that inshallah. We'll be talking about these, uh, these following events over the next few weeks. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant us the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the study of life of Rasulullah give us the love of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to live life like the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and emulate the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu to the best of our ability. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahum bihamdik, nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.